0: Thank you, God, for your grace to us. We thank you for Christ. We thank you for the resurrection, the centrality of that to uh, who we are as Christians. Let us encourage one another with the fact that Christ is risen, and let us joyfully worship you for all of eternity, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Some of you have heard of the Thomas Jefferson Bible. Before uh, Thomas Jefferson took a pair of scissors and he eliminated from the four Gospels the portions that he believed were um, supernatural, he eliminated those, those aspects, all of the supernatural elements of the Gospels. He called this finished work the life and morals of Jesus of Nazareth. And you could go actually to the website, thejeffersonbible.com, and read up on this, but I'll read to you just a little bit from the website. It says this, Jefferson's goal was to clarify the teachings of Jesus, which he believed provided the most sublime and benevolent code of morals which has ever been offered to man. Jesus as the great moral teacher, we might say. The Jefferson Bible, interestingly enough, concludes with these words. There they laid Jesus and rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and departed. The end. The end of the story for Jefferson. The Jefferson Bible ends with Jesus Christ in the tomb. It ends with no resurrection. And yet we are here today because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is nearly impossible to overstate the importance and the significance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ to Christianity. So central is this doctrine that without it, you are lost in your sins facing damnation. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, these words, he says, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. A Jesus, as Jefferson would uh, construct, a Jesus who was merely a good moral teacher, is insufficient. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is central to the message of the gospel, Not only this, but the resurrection is central to so many other doctrines of Christianity that we take for granted. One of those things that the resurrection of Christ points to is the power and the authority of God. Once again, it is hard to overstate this reality. In Ephesians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul takes nine verses to tell the Ephesian Christians that he is praying for them. And in these nine verses, he tells them the content of his prayers. He is praying for several things. And one of those things that he prays for is that they would know three things. These requests begin in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 18. And he says, first, he wants them to know, number one, what is the hope to which he has called you? I want you to know, I'm praying for you in Ephesus that you would know, number one, the hope to which you've been called. Second, he says, I want you to know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance. And third, he wants them to know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. And it is this third prayer request that is going to be the focus of the message today. Why? Because it has to do with the resurrection. If Paul wanted the, if you were writing to someone and you said, I want to show you, I want to demonstrate to you what God's power looks like, what would you point them to? If Paul wanted the Ephesians to know God's power, what historical event do you think he would cite? He could cite the creation event itself, or he could cite the Exodus out of Egypt, or he could cite uh, the Incarnation, but he does not cite any of these things. When Paul wants to teach these Ephesian Christians about God's immeasurable power, he begins his lesson with the resurrection. Do you want to see the power of God on display? Look to the resurrection, is what he tells these people. And that is what we will see today, God's power and his authority displayed in the resurrection of Christ. And so Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to look at 15, it's really going to be uh, more like 21 through 23, but we're going to look at it to get the context from verse 15. And we read this, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, He's praying for them, that what, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know, and here are the things that he asks, that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when, you see this is our reference to the resurrection, he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet, gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. We're going to look at this in really two sections today. The resurrection shows God's power first, and then the resurrection shows Christ's authority. It is an undeniable fact that the resurrection of Jesus Christ puts God's immeasurable power on display. Now, as humans, human power is, I think we would say, an awesome sight to behold. The might that we have as human beings is truly astounding. We can build rockets and put them on other planets. We can harness nuclear energy for great power or great destruction. We can create skyscrapers that touch the sky. We can fly around the world. We can allow people to communicate with one another instantly no matter where they are. And we could go on and on and on and on and talk about all the achievements of mankind. But take the best that we have to offer, and it pales in comparison to God's power. The physical strength of a solitary ant poses no threat to the weakest human being. And in a greater way, the collective power and the collective strength of the human race poses no threat to God or his throne. God's power in Ephesians chapter 1 here, as we are reading, is described as immeasurable. It is described as greatness. It is described as great might. The word immeasurable is also translated in your Bible with the English word surpass. It means to go beyond, to surpass, or to outdo Another lexicon defines the word as beyond a mark or to overshoot. It carries the idea of overflowing. Add to that in the text here the word greatness. This word can be translated as magnitude. We could translate this whole phrase here as the surpassing magnitude of his power. The most powerful rocket that exists currently is called the Falcon Heavy, a rocket built by SpaceX. It holds the Guinness World Record for the most powerful rocket in terms of thrust. It creates 5.13 million pounds of force of thrust at takeoff. I don't even know how to quantify that number. (laughs) But even this rocket is the fifth most powerful rocket ever to exist. And it is hard to imagine something more powerful than this, and yet God's power makes this rocket look like a birthday candle. You could snuff it out in a moment's notice. God's power is surpassing. It is overflowing. It is all-encompassing. It is beyond us, both in kind and degree. And this power is put on display in verse 20 where we read that he worked in Christ, this power, that he worked in Christ when? When was this power, the surpassing greatness of his power, put on display? It was put on display in the resurrection, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. This power was used to raise Christ from the dead, This is the reason that we celebrate Easter. God's power is put on display in the resurrection of Christ. This is the same power that spoke the world into existence. This is the same God who goes by the title Almighty. This is the same God who is said in Job to hang the earth on nothing. In Psalm 15.3, we are told that this God does all that he pleases This king, our God, he brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. This king does not faint or grow weary. Jeremiah says that nothing is too hard for you. A humbled Nebuchadnezzar is compelled to declare, none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? And one day, if you are in Christ Then together we will hear these words at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. And when you begin to get a small glimpse of the immeasurable greatness of the power of God or the surpassing magnitude of his power, you will begin to understand why David was so perplexed in Psalm 8, 3-4 when he said, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him. Why does God look to us? Let alone why does he send Christ to die for us? Wretched sinners. Indeed who are we that God should show us favor and kindness? But this power. Extends to his authority. God is not just some powerful person out there. Kind of independent just. Uh, with no authority. No, God exercises all authority over everything. The resurrection shows the authority of Christ. His power extends to his authority. In verse 21, we read this, "For or far above all rule. Christ is seated above all rule. He is seated above all authority and power, and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. Jesus Christ has been seated in the heavenly places by God the Father. And Jesus Christ sits above what? He sits above all rule, all authority, all power, all dominion, over every name that is named. The name of Jesus Christ is above every name. The name of Jesus Christ is above your name, and it is above my name. The name of Jesus Christ is above Alexander the Great, Julius Caesar, Genghis Khan, Mahatma Gandhi, Winston Churchill, Nelson Mandela, Napoleon Bonaparte, Abraham Lincoln, Aristotle, Constantine, Albert Einstein, Plato, Benjamin Franklin, Socrates, Buddha, Hammurabi, Confucius, William the Conqueror, Martin Luther King Jr., Bill Gates, Muhammad Ali, Mother Teresa, Christopher Columbus, Queen Victoria, Pope Francis, Leonardo da Vinci, Vincent van Gogh, Pope John Paul II, Neil Armstrong, Henry Ford, Elon Musk, Ronald Reagan, Sigmund Freud, C.S. Lewis, J.R.R. Tolkien, the Wright brothers, Joseph Stalin, Adolf Hitler, King Henry VIII, and Thomas Jefferson, and down to the man. Every name on that list will bow the knee to Christ alone. Jesus Christ is seated above all rule and all authority all power and all dominion. Jesus Christ is sovereign over all nations. Jesus Christ has authority, power, and dominion over China, India, the United States, Indonesia, Pakistan, Brazil, Nigeria, Bangladesh, Russia, Mexico, Japan, Ethiopia, Ethiopia, the Philippines, Egypt, Vietnam, Iran, Turkey, Germany, France, the UK, South America, Tanzania, Italy, Myanmar, South Korea, Colombia, Kenya, Spain, Argentina, Sudan, Uganda, Iraq, Ukraine, Canada, Poland, Morocco, and Saudi Arabia. And perhaps there is no better place in scripture to establish the lordship of Jesus Christ over all of the nations than Psalm 2, which says this. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun, lest he be angry and you perish in the way for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. He rules over all nations and all kingdoms. Not only does Jesus Christ rule over all kings and all nations, but he rules over everything. Jesus Christ has power over all tornadoes, hurricanes, thunder, lightning, storms, volcanoes, earthquakes, landslides, avalanches, blizzards, wildfires, droughts, asteroids, tsunamis, and floods. He is king over the animals, king over the insects, king over disease, king over pestilence, king over plants, king over the earth, king over the universe. Jesus created, designed, and sustains all of the laws that govern our universe. He rules over laws of science, induction, laws of logic, laws of morality. Jesus Christ rules above all authorities. He rules over biologists, psychologists, astronomers, ecologists, geologists, neurologists, zoologists, engineers, mathematicians, architects, carpenters, scientists, farmers, lawyers, miners, nurses, politicians, teachers, and veterinarians. Jesus Christ is above every philosophy. In every religion ever invented by mankind. He is above humanism, agnosticism, atheism, Buddhism, existentialism, capitalism, communism, deconstructionism, dialectical materialism, egalitarianism, emotivism, empiricism, Marxism, Jainism, legalism, paganism, virtue ethics, utilitarianism, Islam, secularism, Mormonism, hedonism, Greek philosophy, critical theories, Darwinism, postmodernism, modernism relativism, stand- point theories, and liberation theologies. Jesus Christ rules over all public schools, colleges, universities, all government, the DSM-5, all specialists, professionals, and experts, Hollywood, the media, and social media. The gods of this age are accounted as nothing And the Lordship of Jesus Christ will be declared by everyone and everything. Every mouth will give praise to the Lordship of Jesus Christ alone. Every mouth in this room will do this and you will do this with great joy or you you will do this under duress. But you will do it nonetheless. The mouths of infants and nursing babies will declare God's praise, Matthew 21. Humbled kings like Nebuchadnezzar Declare God's praise, Daniel 4. Inanimate objects like rocks declare God's praise, Luke 19. Even unbelievers will praise the name of God. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Not only that, but Revelation 5.13 adds to this, and we read, I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. I take this to mean that even the demonic realm will praise God albeit under duress. In Isaiah, we are told that the animals will praise God. The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches. For I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert to give drink to my chosen people. Everything in all of God's creation is commanded, is ordered to praise God. Psalm 148 tells us this. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens, and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord. For he commanded and they were created, and he established them forever and ever. He gave a decree and it shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all deeps fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind fulfilling his word, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for his people. Praise for all his saints, for the people of Israel who are near him. Praise the Lord. Jesus has all authority. Not your school, not your government, your spouse, or the media. Jesus has all authority. He will be declared as authoritative by all believers, unbelievers, demons, animals, inanimate objects. Jesus Christ will crush every false way. He will crush every false convert. He will crush every opposition. Revelation 19, 15 through 16. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron, He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty on his robe and on his thigh. He has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Jesus Christ strikes fear into the hearts and minds of his enemies. His enemies cry out, Calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who's seated on the throne and the wrath of the Lamb. That's Jesus Christ. Jesus did not come to improve your self esteem, he did not come to help you self actualize, he did not come to help you find yourself. Jesus did not come to help you look within. He is not the therapeutic Messiah. Jesus Christ came to conquer death, to vindicate the name of God the Father, and to redeem a people for his own name. Jesus Christ is king. He is Lord of lords and king of kings. Jesus is the sovereign one. He is the Alpha, the Omega, the Beginning, the End, the First, the Last. Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. He is the Son of Man. He is the Son of God. He is the Promised Son of David. He is the Lord. He is the Logos. He is High Priest, Savior, Emmanuel, the Servant of the Lord. Jesus is my Redeemer, the Bread of Life, the Creator and Sustainer. He is the Holy One of Israel. He is the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Jesus is the head of the church, the Almighty. He is our prophet and teacher, and advocate. Jesus is the only mediator between God and man. He is judge. He is chief cornerstone, the author and finisher of our faith, the lamb of God, the good shepherd, the rock, the branch, the bridegroom, our dayspring. He is the lion from the tribe of Judah, the bright and morning star, the image of the invisible God, the I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus Christ is king, and Jesus Christ is alive. And Jesus Christ sustains the fragile lungs of the newborn baby. And he feeds the birds of the air. He dresses the lilies of the field and he gives grace to the humble. He says, "Come to me." Matthew 11:28, "Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And we read in Matthew chapter 12, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice To victory. This God, this Christ, he has made himself a friend of sinners. He has humbled himself, come to this world, and died for sins. Hide yourself in him. His wrath is fierce, but his mercy is great. We read a portion from Ephesians 1 today where we saw this power put on display. This power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he will put all things under his feet and give him as head over all things to the church. And on this Easter Sunday, we celebrate this power of God, the Father, that is put on display through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. A resurrection that shows us how great our God is. How worthy he is and how much he deserves our praise and our worship and our adoration. I want to encourage you with something today. I want to read to you from Romans chapter 5 and verse 9. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. This is a troubling verse for many people. Because this verse teaches us that the wrath that sinners face comes from God and it teaches us that the mercy that we can have comes from God you see what see that here in this verse we shall be saved by him we're saved by God from what the wrath of God All of those who fail to take refuge in God will face his wrath. This is the fate of all unbelievers, of all the regenerate, of all who are lost. It is a fate in a place called hell. Hell is the holding tank. At the end of the age, all of those who are in hell will be cast into the lake of fire. And if you are sitting here today in this church service and you are listening to this and you are an unbeliever and you are not trusting in Christ unless you hide yourself in God This is your fate. Eternal, endless, ongoing, forever and ever and and ever, conscious torment. You will be facing the just wrath of God, the just wrath of the Lamb. Someone has once said, though only by analogy, that there is a sign in hell, and the sign reads, abandon all hope, ye who enter here. Now there's not going to be a literal sign, I don't think, but the sentiment is true. Now is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. Not when you leave here, not when you get home, not tomorrow, not the next day, not next week, not after you've got a chance to live your life the way that you want to live. Today is the day. Now is the time. You do not know that you have the next minute of breath, let alone the next day. Taking refuge in God costs nothing. You must only repent, which means to turn from your sins, and trust in Jesus Christ alone. And if you have not done that, I implore you to do so today. If you have not trusted in Christ, and you walk out of this place today, and you never place trust in Christ. The echo of every gospel message you have ever heard will be on repeat for all of eternity in your mind. This is not a joke. It's not something to make light of. This is eternity that we're talking about here. We have only one point of application today, and this point of application is um, a verse. And it's Psalm 95 and verse six. And it says this: "O come, let us worship and bow down, let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker." Jesus Christ is all-powerful. He has all authority. He has endless authority. He is authoritative over everything. And he is deserving of our worship and our praise. And so if you are someone who is here today and you are in Christ and you are born again, then the call for you is worship the Lord. And you can do this in great joy. And if you are someone who is an unbeliever, the call for you is to worship the Lord. And you too can do this in great joy through repentance and faith in Christ. The issue is not whether you will acknowledge Christ's lordship. The issue is when you will do this. We all will. And I implore you to do this now. I will make an offer that I usually try to make every week, and even if I don't make the offer, the offer is still there every week, okay? And that is, I'd love to talk more with you about knowing Christ as Savior. Um, This is important to us here at Crossview, and um, it doesn't have to be me. You could talk with someone else too, but don't leave without confessing the lordship of Christ alone. Jesus is king. Jesus is alive. Thank you, God, for your grace to us that was expressed through the resurrection. Thank you for redeeming a people for your own name. And I implore that you would please have mercy on those who may be here today who don't know Christ. That they would come to know Christ through repentance and faith in his name. And that you would be merciful to us. Help us to be a people who are grateful for your resurrection and your power. And that we would worship you for your lordship. And that we would go and be evangelistic in our community and point people to the hope of Christ. This ultimately is all that counts in life. Help us to know you, to love you, to serve you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.